not even going to lie, I had a really tough time this week putting together the sermon for this morning. Because every time I would start on something that the Holy Spirit was kind of working on in me, he would say, no, that's for you. That's not for them. I'm like, okay. So finally yesterday, I sat down and I spent hours with the Lord. And he just started to download some things into me. And, and basically what he told me yesterday was, it was beautiful what Crystal said this morning, is every person that's here is here for a divine appointment. If you are here in this time, in this moment, on this day, with this lesson, you're here because God has something he wants you to hear in it. And so I just want to ask that you would keep your mind open as we go through this conversation and as we talk about these things and that you would look actively for the thing in the message that God has for you because there is something for you or you would not be here. So it's my prayer that all of our lives are touched, blessed, and transformed by the word this morning in some way. So before we really jump into the lesson, I just kind of want to share a little bit of a personal story with you. Is that okay? So I'm going to jump back like seven years ago, 30-year-old me, newly single, divorced. My husband chose to leave, left me alone with four children. And I was trying to figure out how to do life. And Jesus had just made himself very real to me. I had known of him my whole life, but not really known him. You know the difference? You know, like, you know who he is and what he does and what everybody says about him. But he really hadn't started to transform my heart. And there was a couple of beautiful moments where Jesus just showed me the love of God in a way that I could not deny. And when he did that, immediately the first thing I wanted to do was like tell everybody about it, right? I wanted to go let everybody know that they needed what I had. And if they didn't have what I had, then they were really missing out. So they really needed to pay attention. And here's what happened. I was super excited about it. So I just was sharing all of this newfound love of Jesus with everybody. But their response to me was not what I expected it to be. Like, I really thought that they were going to be super excited just like I was. Like, I was going to tell them how awesome he was, and they were going to be like, uh, yeah, let me get on your train. That is not what happened. What happened was they looked at me very confused. Because what I was telling them didn't line up with what they were seeing in my life. I had met Jesus. He was beginning to transform me. But the fruit that they were seeing in my life didn't match up with the God that I was telling them I was completely overwhelmed by. Because in my workplace, I was still standing in that girl's cubicle participating in the gossip. Or they were still hearing me fuss about not having enough money and not knowing how I was going to pay the bills and take care of my kids. They still heard worry. They still heard a woman who was really concerned about whether God was ever going to bring her somebody so she didn't have to raise children alone. I was still so caught up in the world. I think there's an echo going on back there. Will y'all take the... It'll be on the effects knob, so you can just turn them all the way down. I was still so caught up in living like the world 
that I was telling them something, but it wasn't resonating with them because what they were seeing didn't match up with what they were hearing. And so in the sweetest, kindest way, the Spirit of God just said, Lauren, you're putting the cart before the horse. And he downloaded these three words into my mind at that moment, and they have stuck with me for years and years, seven years, until Dave and I were talking about a refocus. And immediately my mind goes to, wait a minute, the Lord talked to me about mind, mandate, and mission. And what he had told me is that really quickly, as soon as he showed me his love, I jumped to my mission without transforming my mind. And without my mind being transformed, my mandate, which is my identity and my authority to do the mission, was not fully understood. And so I could, am I supposed to tell people about Jesus? Absolutely. And am I saying, be quiet when you meet the Lord? I am not. But I'm saying, if we're not in a constant process of renewing the mind, learning who we are and who he is, then we're not very effective in our mission. And so what happened is when I began to share my story with people, I wasn't getting the response that I was looking for. People didn't want what I had because they couldn't see that it had changed my life. I could tell them all day that this was a good and perfect father and that he had shown me a tremendous amount of love that I never experienced before and that he was healing the things in me that had been broken for so long. But when they saw that troubles came in my life, they still saw somebody who was shaken by everything that came my way. They didn't see somebody whose feet were on a rock. They didn't see somebody who was willing to step out of a boat and walk on water in a storm. There was a disconnect. Does that make sense? And so the Lord began at that moment to help me understand. You know, I, we hear all the time that people don't care what you know unless they know that you care. That's super true. Nobody wants anybody that's just going to tell them what to do all the time if they know that you don't care about them. They don't know that you care about them. But also, they're not going to believe in what you have unless they can see it in your life. They're looking for fruit. They don't know what to call it, right? Because things of the Spirit are foolishness to those in the world. They don't know what we call it. We call it the growth of fruit in our lives. But that's what they're looking for. They're wanting to see that what you say you have makes a difference. So today we're going to continue on with the topic of mindset. We've been talking about it for weeks now, but it is so important. It is so important. And I know that sometimes hearing similar things over and over and over and over can make us a little weary. But let me remind you that anytime we learn anything, the way that we recall it quickly is repetition. All learning is repetition. The more you hear it, the further and the deeper you understand it, the easier you're able to recall it and use it. So we're going to make sure that we really get this principle. So we're going to take a little bit of a a different spin on it today. Is that cool? We're going to talk about how worship impacts our mindset. All right, so we're going to dive in. In order to kind of really get to the the challenge at the end, we're going to have to break a couple of things down as usual. First, I want to challenge our mindset on worship. It's very common that we hear in the church and around Christianity that worship is our breakthrough, that you're going to receive your freedom, you're going to receive your breakthrough through worship. You're going to get free through worship. Bondage disappears through worship. 
And that is absolutely true. The problem is sometimes our mind thinks that that means the only time I get free is when I sing in here with a bunch of people, right? Or when I'm at my house and I turn on the worship music and I dance like an idiot. Because that happens. Don't put a camera in my house. It's way more fun to clean the house when you dance with the broom. I'm just saying. But it is not just singing. It is not just clapping your hands. At a very fundamental level, worship is your expression of response to the Lord for the love that he shows you in your life. So if I wake up in the morning and I'm sitting on my couch and this doesn't happen because I don't get up at sunrise, I'm not going to lie. But let's just say I'm sitting on my couch when the sun rises and I see the warmth of the sun sweep across my living room. And for just a moment, I just take this deep breath and I just have this feeling of gratitude for another day given by the Lord. That is worship. If I'm driving to work and I see a beautiful sunrise or just an incredible display of God's artistry in nature, and for just a moment, I just check in with the Holy Spirit and I say, wow, how did you do what you did? That is worship. If I'm about to get called into my boss's office and I did something wrong, a two-word prayer, Jesus help, is worship. (laughs) My response to God in my life is worship. So worship is when I talk to him in the car riding down the road. Worship is when I ask him how to parent my children. What does he want for them? What does he have for them? Who are they? What are their giftings? What's their purpose? Worship is every response of my heart to the love of the Father. And so the reality is our breakthrough doesn't come from moments of singing. Our breakthrough comes to learning to respond to God in every moment of every day. And if we're being honest, isn't that what transforming the mind is all about? It's expression. It's communication. It's communion with the Father. So let's jump again really quickly into our makeup, how we're made. And I know we talk about this frequently, so hang out with me because there's, there's a purpose here. We are a triune being. We talk about this a lot. We have three parts. What are they? Spirit, soul, and body. We are a triune being just like Father, Son, Spirit. We are spirit, soul, and body. I want to give you a little bit of a definition of what each part of you does. So we can learn what the transformation of the mind has to do with worship. Okay, so the, the, the highest part of you is spirit. It's what communes with the Father, right? The spirit includes your intuition, your intellect. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going too fast. Your intuition, your conscience, and your communion. Here's something that I think we need to remember. There are some words that when we hear them, we kind of like cringe because they sound a little new agey. But they weren't that way till they stole them. The Lord made everything, so I don't think we have to look at it that way. Intuition is nothing to be kind of freaked out about. Intuition at a definition level is the ability to understand without the need for conscious reasoning. How many times has the Holy Spirit downloaded something into you that you're like, oh, I get it, and you didn't have to work your way through it? That's intuition. Intuition is the place where the Holy Spirit lays down truth inside of you that you would have no way to figure out on your own. 
Okay, so that's part of your spirit. Conscience. This is where the Holy Spirit brings an awareness of right and wrong in life. This is where he begins to tell us what's righteous behavior, what's holy behavior. This is where we focus on the holiness of God. The conscience is not just to tell you what to do and what not to do. This is the part of your spirit where you are discipled into a righteous and holy life. And because it's in the spirit, it is separate from your mind. So you don't get to a righteous and a holy life by thinking your way there. You get there by submitting it to the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to talk our way through that in just a minute. Communion. God made you for communion. You were made for relationship. You were made to worship something. Here's where things get scary. Your choice is that you get to worship the Lord or you get to worship something in the world. When we choose not to worship the Lord and we focus our mind in something in the world, that's when we end up with devastation, addiction, depression, anxiety. Because we're connecting ourselves with something other than God. You are created to need something. And your focus is going to determine what that thing is that you commune with. Are you focused on the Lord or are you focused on the world? The, the next part of us is the soul. The soul part is your intellect, your free will, and your emotions. Free will is also desire, the things that we want. Right? So at a very base level, this is where you think, choose, and feel. Okay? The intellect is where we actively choose to focus on something and process it out. The free will is where we choose whether we're going to handle it in the spirit or in the flesh. And then the emotion is what comes up and connects all of our memories. And I love, I don't, I don't remember how long it was that Dave said, but I love where he was talking about how you have a certain amount of seconds from the time that you think a thought till the emotion comes up. So you can deal with it quickly before the emotion gets attached to it. That's so true. Your intellect and your free will operate before the emotion comes up to give you a shot at dealing with things before you have to feel the pain or feel the difficulty. The last part of our triune being is the body. The body is the flesh and the brain. Your brain is separate from your mind. They're not the same thing. Your mind molds everything about you. Your soul and your spirit are not bound by space and time. They are both eternal. It is the essence of who you are, your ability to think, choose, and feel... And it is the spirit that is awakened and in tune with the Lord that is eternal. The only thing that is not eternal is the body and the brain. It returns to dust. So here's where we start to get a little confused. We think that the brain and the mind is the same thing. Your mind actually has the power to change your brain. Your mind has the power to change your physical body. 
So we're going to talk just a little bit about how they work together. The soul, the mind, will, and emotions, is kind of like the middleman in every transaction that happens in your life. Anytime you're presented with a situation, the very first thing that responds is your mind. It takes in the information, it assesses the information, determines whether it's good, bad, fight or flight, keep it or get rid of it, right? It determines what the information is, and then it begins to process it, and it decides what to do with it. It decides what kind of memory to make it. Is this going to be traumatic, or is this going to be good? Is this going to be toxic, or is this going to be healthy? And this thing is firing faster than you could ever imagine. The things that are going on in the brain are so quickly developing that we don't even realize the power behind it. Okay, so information's coming in, we're assessing it, we're processing it, we're deciding what to do with it, and then it becomes a thought. Can you put that picture up there for me? I thought this was really cool. Y'all can, maybe some of you are nerds like me. This picture looks like a tree, doesn't it? This is an image of a thought in a brain. This is actually neurons and dendrites. Okay, so what happens is when you're listening right now, listening to this message and learning things, your brain is actively growing those inside your brain at a rate that you cannot imagine because all those little branch things, those are called dendrites, and their job is to hold information. So thoughts are not just these abstract concepts that we just choose whether to let affect us or not. They take up actual mental real estate. They're a thing. They are in your brain. Okay, so that the base of that is the neuron, and all of those other pieces are dendrites that carry information. So here's what happens. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you just like super quickly react and you probably reacted the wrong way? What happens is you're confronted with a situation and your body's like, oh, I don't need you to think through this. I know exactly what to do. I've been in this position before and it gets that neuron and it starts firing and you behave the way that your body tells you to without ever engaging your mind. So this is us allowing our flesh body to determine our behavior instead of our mind and our spirit. Okay, so this is where impulse behaviors come from. You ever been, you ever had like a, an issue that you were dealing with for quite some time and you just keep thinking, why do I keep acting that way? Why do I keep making that same choice over and over? Why do I keep getting into that same toxic relationship over and over? Why do I keep doing the same thing when I don't want to do it anymore? That's why. Because your brain is wired to do this right here. So there's two types of these trees in your body. There's healthy ones and there's toxic ones. Healthy ones are processed the correct way through the Holy Spirit, leading to learning and life. Toxic ones lead to bad decisions, sin, and death. Okay, so we're going to talk through this just a little bit. Here's what I think is pretty amazing about this thing here. Do you know that we disarm ourselves? How often have we told someone, well, that's just the way I am? 
We just tell people, oh, I'm just, I'm just blunt. I'm just to the point. I have no filter. That's just how I am. No, that's how you've learned to be. That's how our flesh behaves when we don't submit it to the love of the spirit. But it is not how you are. You may prove it to you real quick. Ecclesiastes 7.29. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they sought out the schemes of the mind. It is not who you are. God created you upright. It is our mind that led us to depravity. And here's what I think is so crazy about it. We've disarmed ourselves. I get excited, y'all. I'm, I'm probably going to pace around a little bit because this makes me excited. We are the ones that put ourselves in this situation. And I think the word disarmed is perfect because in Colossians 2, 4, and 15, it says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them at the cross. So Jesus' job was to take away the slave bondage that you had to behave in the natural sin flesh character. It's gone. It does not rule you anymore. The only reason we're still behaving in it is because we've disarmed ourselves. What did we do to disarm ourselves? We killed our choice. We set down our choice. Here's why I think we did that. Because we don't really want to take responsibility. I think that sometimes we set down our choice because if we don't choose, we can blame it on something else. If I don't choose, I can blame it on the trauma from my past. If I don't choose, I can blame it on the argument I had with somebody earlier that day. If I don't choose, I can blame it on, well, my family is just that way. I learned this behavior. So we have disarmed ourselves and made ourselves slaves to sin again because we are unwilling to take responsibility for our own actions. In Deuteronomy 30 and 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, Choose life that you and your offspring may live. It is not just about you. Do you know that they've also done scientific studies on the biblical principle of generational sin? Do you know that they have determined that these structures that we develop in our brain actually change your DNA? And that DNA is passed on to your children, where when they access it, it expresses in their life, and they have the same issue you had. That's wild to me. The cool thing about it is that it has to be accessed. All genes are passed through the bloodline dormant. They don't express themselves until something activates them. So if we have to activate them to turn them on, then I'm pretty sure that we can choose to turn them off. And we literally have the power to shut it down for the rest of our generational line. 
Why would we not do that? Simply because we don't want to take responsibility for our choices? Quick newsflash to all of us, we are all going to take responsibility for our choices, whether we want to or not. So we can either do it in an upright fashion right now and get before the Lord and be honest and be open and be real, or we can wait till he pulls it out of us on judgment day and have to answer for it then. It's all going to happen. So in that verse where it says that God created us upright, that word schemes at the end where it says that it's our schemes, that actually means mental, machine, device, or invention. That really makes me think, God created me upright, but somehow in my mind, I've made these mental machines that do their own thing, that operate all by themselves unless I get in the way, and they drive my behavior unless I change them. And so not all things we can control, right? Some situations we're put in, some circumstances we're put in, we can't control the fact that they happen, but we're responsible to determine how we're going to respond to it. Some things as we're children, we're taught things that are not correct and are maybe toxic. We can't control the fact that that was grown in the brain, but do you know that you can actually tear those down? They can be changed. If you ever get bored and you just want to look at some cool stuff, go look at studies of what happens in the brain when people praise, worship, thank God, pray, and speak in tongues. Unbelievable. They watch brain waves, and they literally watch those things fall apart. So is it true that your breakthrough comes through worship? Yes. It's just bigger than what we thought it was. Anybody ever seen the movie The Matrix? Haven't seen this movie in a really long time. So the whole idea, right, is there's this guy who thinks that what he's living in is reality. And then all of a sudden he's confronted with this idea that there's something bigger than that going on. That's kind of manipulating everything that's going on in his reality. And it's a really confusing situation for him because everything he's ever known is now a lie. Anybody else ever felt that way? When you access the kingdom of God and you realize that every cultural concept you've ever been taught was literally a lie. Everything you've ever thought you understood, everything you've ever thought made sense was nothing like you thought it was. And so then he's confronted with this situation where he's standing before this man and this man says, you got two choices. You can either jump head first into this new reality and see what's really there, or you can go back to blissful ignorance the way you were before. That's really a choice that we're faced with every day. Every time we have a new revelation, a new reality from the Father, every time we realize something like this, where we have the power to dictate every behavior and every action from here on out. We are not robots. We are not subservient to our brain. 
we have an option. We can either dive head first and figure out how to fix it, or we can go back to blissful ignorance and then complain when our lives don't look like we want them to. So how do we actually worship our way to a renewed mind? Worship is an act of focusing, right? We're focusing on the Father. We're focusing on the, on the Spirit. When we create a continual dialogue with the Holy Spirit, we begin to talk to him about the things that are confronting us. Does he care about what you ate for lunch? Uh, yeah, he does. I don't know that he necessarily wants you to take pictures of it and put it on Facebook because then it makes me hungry, but he cares about your lunch. He cares about what you're doing. He cares about how you feel. He cares about what's coming up in your day. He cares about whether you're stressed. He cares about whether you feel like your children are on the right path. He cares about your marriage. He cares about your livelihood. Here's the thing where I think that there was a little bit of breakdown in my mindset. Everybody has heard the verse. We've talked about it some where we say we take every thought captive. So what we just talked about was the process of information coming into the brain. It's assessed, then it's processed, and it's stored. Taking every thought captive means the moment the information gets to the brain, we stay so active in our mind that we immediately check in with the Holy Spirit before the choice. Intellect, choice, emotion. Think, choose, feel. Holy Spirit has to fall right between think and choose, or we're going to behave out of our flesh every time. Every time. So when you create that constant dialogue where something comes into your life, and for just a moment, you say, Spirit, what do you want me to do with this? Is this good for me? Is this not good for me? How should I respond? How would your love respond? How would you respond to this person? How would you handle this situation? We are learning a behavior that checks our mind in with our spirit. Our soul goes to spirit, not flesh. If we lay down our choice, our flesh will always reign. This is what the word means when it says to walk by the spirit, y'all. It means that he's active with you in every moment of every day. Every decision, every concept, every issue. This is what it means to focus your mind on the Lord. So let's read in Romans. We're going to be in Romans 8, 5, and 6. We're going to kind of sit here for just a minute. So if you want to turn with me, you're welcome to. Let's talk about how to focus the mind. Starting in verse 5, it says, Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. Okay, that word motivated doesn't necessarily mean that you just really want your flesh to get everything that it wants. It means that that's where we check in at. It means that the flesh does more work than the soul. Okay, so those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live 
by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. What did we say happened in your intuition? The Holy Spirit downloads something that you can't process or don't have time to process in a few second moment where you need to make a choice. That is the impulse of the Holy Spirit. That's in a few seconds when you say, what do you want me to do? And he drops it and you go with it. It is the impulse of the Holy Spirit. But those who live by that are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. How often do we talk about having our minds set on the kingdom of God and not on the world? Guys, this is the concept of what is the actual reality. We are so deceived. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. These things that we worry about, they're not important in the long run. And when we learn to continually check in with the Spirit, we begin to see things the way the kingdom of God sees things. We begin to see things the way the Holy Spirit sees things. And then we're able to see what the true reality is, and we're no longer deceived. So that's when we really start to realize that we don't fight against flesh and blood. Let's just say that there's an argument in my household. If for just a moment, when my husband and I are having words, I check in with the Holy Spirit, and he says, remember, Lauren, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual issue. I don't have to be upset with my husband. I can be upset with the attack. It takes my perspective off of what's in the world and puts it on the kingdom of God. This is where focus comes from. It says, for the mindset of flesh is death. But the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. It doesn't say the mindset of the Spirit. It says the mindset controlled by the Spirit. So it is death to let your mind go to sleep and let your body act. It is life to use your mind to check in with the Holy Spirit and let him control your behavior. In fact, the mindset focused on the flesh fights God's plan and refuses to submit to his direction. How often do we sit with the Lord and we're like, God, why are you not acting on my behalf? Why are you not doing what I've asked you to? Why am I praying and I'm not seeing an answer? And the answer is right here because our mindset is being ruled by our flesh. And so we are actually in opposition to God at every moment of every day. How can he do for us what we're asking him to do if we're literally resisting him all day, every day? Who's to say he's not trying? And every time he throws that blessing your way, you just toss it right back. For no matter how hard they try, God finds no pleasure with those who are controlled by the flesh. Y'all, that hit me hard. Because I don't ever want to get anywhere near him and him have anything to say but well done, good and faithful servant. It would break my heart. And to to hear or even think that there's something in me that he would not be pleased with, I can't be okay with that. Am I ever going to get there? No, I'm not perfect. But are we willing to say if it doesn't please you, I don't want it? But when the Spirit of Christ empowers your life, you are no longer dominated by the flesh but by the Spirit. And if you are not joined to the Spirit of the Anointed One, this is heavy, y'all. 
you are not of him. If you are not joined to the spirit of the anointed one, you are not of him. Do you realize that whatever we behold, we become? Whatever has your affection and your attention, to behold something is a little more than just to look at it, right? It's to like tenderly hold it. Whatever we behold, we become. Whatever I place a value on, whatever is significant, I become like that. And whatever I focus on will eventually have my heart. What I behold, I become. And whatever I focus on will eventually have my heart. That's heavy. Not because we choose the flesh, but because we refuse to choose. Do you realize that we're not actively choosing flesh? We're just refusing to choose. Our nature is to behave out of the flesh. And when we refuse to be active enough to change that, then we just stay in this state of displeasure with God. And because we're not tenderly holding the presence of God, because we're not beholding the Father and everything that he is, because we're not beholding what a beautiful relationship it is that the creator of the universe that's greater than anything we could ever imagine wants a tender, loving relationship with me. That's not what I become. We become what we behold. Do I want a better relationship with the Lord? Then I better behold the relationship. What we focus on will eventually have our heart. So here's what happens. As you focus on the Lord, focus is worship, right? So our worship increases as we focus on the Lord. When your worship increases, your wisdom increases. The only source of true wisdom is the Holy Spirit. And the more time you spend with the Holy Spirit, he deals with your spirit So he's dealing with your intuition. So he's downloading truth. He's downloading wisdom. The more time you spend with him, the wiser you become. The more you check in with him, and I think this is beautiful too. I think we think that we're going to be in this state of like continual, oh my gosh, what do I do? We're going to be in this state of I got to go to you for every little thing. But let me tell you this. The more time you spend with the Holy Spirit, the wiser you become. And so you'll just begin to walk in the way that the Spirit has called you to walk. You'll begin to look more like Jesus than you did yesterday. And when these things happen, because you are more full of the kingdom, people will experience the kingdom through you. And you won't need to check in on every little thing because you'll have the heart of the king. And so when something happens, you're like, oh, I've got this. I know what Jesus would do. So it's a process. We got to start somewhere. We have to check in. But as growth happens, as we increase in worship, we increase in wisdom. And as we increase in wisdom, we increase in the capacity to access the kingdom of God. We can hold more. We understand more. 
And when we have a greater capacity to hold the knowledge and the wisdom and the things of God, we have a greater ability to be the kingdom of God in people's lives. I just had a couple of moments with the Lord a couple of weeks ago where I was just asking personally for some clarification. I'm one of those people that I'm not a big fan of um, churchy words without definitions. So we, we kind of have this language in the church, right, where we say things and we've heard them so much that we think we really know what they mean, but we don't really know what they mean. We just know they're church words, and so we repeat them. And so I just asked him to give me a little bit of clarity on what it means to advance the kingdom of God. And so this is just what he dropped in my spirit. He took me to the Lord's Prayer, where he said, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And he just, in the intuition, right, in the spirit, the Holy Spirit dropped something. That in that moment, I understood that it is possible to access the atmosphere of heaven on earth. And that when we're talking to people about the love of Jesus and the transformative power of God, but we're walking around living in the same atmosphere they're living in and nothing's any different, they don't want what you have to offer. It didn't change anything. But when they encounter you and when they encounter you, they see an atmosphere in you that they've never seen before because no matter what comes against you, your feet are on a rock. No matter what storm you go through, you seem very peaceful and very steady. No matter what difficulty arises, you have a spirit of victory about you. No matter how sorrowful things could be, there's a joy that rises up in you. When they see that, that's advancing the kingdom of God. That's allowing people to experience what the atmosphere of heaven is like. This is what happens when we spend time with the Lord, when we increase our worship, we increase our wisdom. When we increase our wisdom, we can hold more of what the kingdom of God is actually like, and we can take it to other people. And we can show them the change. Angie, will you play for me for just a minute? And will you check the air for me? is hot. Anybody else hot or is it just me? I'm like half dying up here. Well, at least I got the kingdom of God on my mind. <laughs> it is super hot. Okay. So just really practically, can we talk about how to do this real quick? Y'all stand with me for just a minute. I might let you sit back down in a minute. We'll work out a little bit or something. I want you to just hold your hand out and close your eyes. And for just a moment, I want, to pi I want you to picture one of those little trees in your hand. Something that you've struggled with. Whether it's a bad thought pattern. Whether it's something that we've just decided came to us because our whole family is this way. If it's something that we've just decided this is just who I am but it really doesn't seem like it lines up with the character of God. Just focus on that thing for a moment. And just quietly to yourself, I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit, show me what to do with this thing. 
What do you want me to do with this thing? How do you want to change this thing? And then I want you to imagine not just placing this thing at the feet of the Father, but tossing it towards the throne. And then just drop your hand. And for just a minute, we're just going to sit here in the throne room. We've just given him that thing that we asked him how to deal with. So I'm going to give you a couple practical steps to check in with the Holy Spirit. This is how we break down these things that we've built up that are not good for us. I want you to begin thanking the Lord, not for the thing, but for what he can do in spite of the thing. God, I thank you that you give me wisdom over this topic. God, I thank you that you are powerful enough to take care of it. I thank you that you are mighty and can tear down strongholds. I thank you that you are God over all things. I thank you that you are name above all names. And no matter what it is that I throw at your feet, you have the power to demolish it in the name of Jesus. So the first principle here is when we thank him, he hears us. Then I want you to begin to speak to him about praise. We're not praising him for us having the issue. We're praising him because he's faithful in spite of the issue. God, I praise you because you are faithful. God, I praise you because you are able. God, I praise you because in spite of who I am and where I am, you love me and you cherish me. God, I praise you because you will always pull me out of the pit. God, I praise you because you will set my feet on a rock. God, I praise you because you will clean up all things and heal all things. God, I praise you not because of what I hope you'll do, but because of who I know you are. When we thank him, he hears us. When we praise him, he is with us. The presence of God is not a byproduct of God. It is God. When you begin to praise God, he is next to you. And nothing stands in the presence of God that is not of God. So let's just lift our hands all over the room for just a minute. When we thank him, he hears us. When we praise him, he's with us. When we worship him, he acts on our behalf. Now, the first two things we just did, we were focusing on the issue. Now the issue's gone. We don't care about it anymore. The only thing we care about is him. Just begin to worship him in your own words. God, I lift your name higher. You are holy. You are God above all things. You are the author and the finisher of everything. You are the beginning and the end. You are Alpha and Omega. There is nothing too powerful for you. There is nothing bigger than you. There is nothing you cannot fix. There is nothing you won't wipe out of the way. There is no darkness too dark. There is no boundary you won't cross to love me and to know me and I worship you. When we worship him, he acts on our behalf. So here's what we have to know. We thank him and he hears us. We praise him and he's with us. We worship him and he demolishes what we've given him. Do not recreate it. It does not exist anymore. But if because it's comfortable, you keep trying to go back to it, you will continually recreate 
the thing that God is trying to strip away. You are resisting God. We're going to dismiss in just a minute, but I just want to sing that I exalt thee chorus one more time. And just in the light of whatever you've just handed to him, whatever you've just given to him, I want you to picture and imagine in your head that it's a pile of ashes at the foot of the throne. It doesn't exist. It's not there. It will never plague you again. It will never bother you again. The enemy might try to bring it to your remembrance, but when he does that, you can remind him that it is a pile of rubble in the throne room of the king, and he does not have the authority to reestablish it. So let's just worship the Father for who he is.